Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here we go. 2 Peter chapter 2. And here's what the Apostle Peter says. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Isn't that interesting? He's talking to believers and he says uh, there were false prophets. He said, but there will be false teachers among you, among you. So he's warning them that even some of the people that you know will begin to teach some things that are false doctrine. They're off. Well, how, how, you know, how do you know this sums off? Well, you know two ways. Well, let me say three. Number one, we judge everything based on the word of God. Uh, just as it says in the last chapter, Peter said, hey, I heard Jesus with my audible ears. I heard Father God speak with my audible ears. This is my beloved son. I watched Jesus. I was an eyewitness of his miracles, of his resurrection, everything. He said, but we have something even more sure than that. It's the written prophetic word of God. See, so this is the first way that we judge what is true and what's not true. Second, Secondly, we do it by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness, but the Holy Spirit will bear witness based on the word. The word first, because this is written. That's why God gave it to us. But the Holy Spirit then will bear witness in our hearts as to how it's confirmed by the word. And third, the Lord gives us overseers that will help us to see what all is in the word of God and to sense and hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And the combination of those, and those are in a declining order. The Holy Spirit is not in a secondary order. Don't misunderstand me. But it's the issue with the Holy Spirit, number two, a way of judging, is not a lack on the Holy Spirit's side. It's a lack on our side, whether we trust that everybody is hearing the Holy Spirit correctly or interpreting what he's saying correctly. That's why we start with the written word of God. What did God say in his word? What does it say? Let's look at it. Let's read it. Let's make sure that uh, this knowledge, these teachers that are teaching, that they're teaching what the Bible actually says and teaches. Secondly, does the Holy Spirit bear witness? So if it jives with the Bible, it also ought to bear witness with the Holy Spirit. And then we have other overseers that can come and help us to cross-check these things. But the first is the Word of God. Okay, so he goes on to say, "You, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Heresies are false teachings, uh, uh, doctrines that are not true, teachings that are not true. And so it says they will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. Well, that, that's a pretty uh, outlandish heresy, denying Jesus who bought them, who paid for their salvation. But he's not saying that's the only heresy. That's just one among many. And he says, and they'll not only bring these in secretly, but bring on themselves swift destruction. In other words, they're going to be judged. These false teachers who are secretly trying to bring in these doctrines to lead people away from the true faith in Jesus. Oh, he said they're going to be judged and they're going to experience swift destruction. Verse two, and many will follow their destructive ways because of because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. 
Boy, you're thinking, Peter, why are you speaking these things? Well, he's speaking them, remember, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is forewarning of these things. By the way, Jesus forewarned of these things, that, of what would happen after he left. You remember that Moses forewarned the children of Israel and said, listen, Joshua, you take them in and cause them to inherit the promised land. But Moses went on to say in the book of Deuteronomy, and when you guys go astray, when you stop serving the Lord and God exiles you out of your land, you're thinking, Moses, why are you saying that? Because he knew by the Holy Spirit this was going to happen. And he wanted to give them instructions as to how God would feel about that and what God was going to do about it. See, so God having foreknowledge, he tells us about these things in advance. Well, what we should do is listen to these warnings and say, Lord, help me not to be one of the ones that falls to this. May I be one of the ones that stay strong and true to the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And so it says that these false teachers are going to have a swift destruction brought upon them, but many will follow that uh, their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Because many people follow those destructive heresies, then people on the outside will blaspheme the gospel, the Christians, the name of the Lord, not because it deserves to be blasphemed, but because of these people who are not living right, who are believing lies and who are giving the gospel and Christians a bad name. Verse three, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive word. Now, what does this mean? We got to hit on this because... Uh, no message has been more abused than the message of prosperity. And the message of prosperity is a biblical message. I mean, it's it's in the Bible. God is the one that is our provider. He's provided everything that we need, and he promises to provide for us. David said, my cup runs over. Uh, God said through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. These scriptures are all over the Bible, that God does want to bless us and prosper us, not just with money, but in our families and in our ministries, etc., etc. But because those promises are in the Bible, there have been some, and we just have to admit it, there have been some who have abused the message of prosperity and have begun, have come to people and begin to say things, and I don't want to get too descriptive because I'm not trying to be judgmental of any particular person. But I think here we have to bring this up, that there are some who say, Hey, you know, there's a special uh, anointing or whatever that if somebody, whoever gives a thousand dollars right now is going to get some special this and that and the other. Well, I can't say 100% that the Holy Spirit could never say something like that. But I think anybody that's been around for any length of time would know that the text of Scripture has been taken advantage of by flesh. That it's just so tempting for somebody to know if I use these particular scriptures. And if I say them in these particular ways, people just give more. And so I'm going to put these special incentives on and say, you know, if you give right now, if you give a certain amount of money and so on, and uh, anybody needs a healing, then you need to give money today and such. Well, you know, that's not the way Jesus ran his ministry. Jesus came and he gave freely, didn't he? He didn't say to anybody, hey, uh, you know, I'll pray for your leprosy if you'll make a donation today. No, no. As soon as you start to charge for the gospel, you're on your way to poverty. 
you're already spiritually bankrupt when you begin to do it, but you're on your way to poverty. See, and so thank God for the message of prosperity in the Bible, but we cannot abuse it. We're, it's, it's, in another passage, Paul said, these people have use it as a cloak for covetousness. In other words, behind it, they're wanting more, 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 but they're using the gospel and they're using the scriptures and their ministry rules to continue to satisfy carnal cravings. Folks, we've got to we've got to not stand for that. And I'm not saying to go around judging. I'm saying, but we have to confront the covetousness of our own hearts and say, no, I cannot do that. My job is to get blessing to the people. My job is to help them to be in a position to receive from God, not to satisfy something for myself. And so once again, Peter is warning and he says, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. They're speaking words that they really have an, another agenda in mind. But these are deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So in other words, uh, judgment is going to come. Judgment is going to come to them, but he's warning people that this will happen. Verse four, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, and you're going to see how serious uh, of a category God puts this kind of covetous ministry uh, approach in. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, I want to touch on that. Who are the angels who sinned? For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, uh, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live godly and delivered righteous lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds then the lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment let me just stop there so he's talking about people who, through deceptive words and covetousness of heart, are coming in and teaching the word of God, but they're teaching it in a way to satisfy their own covetousness. And he's saying that is not right. And he says it's so wrong. He said, verse four, if God did not spare the angels who sinned. Now, you would generally think, well, this is talking about a third of the angels when the dragon, you know, Revelation, this tale of the dragon uh, drew a third of the stars and a third of the angels turned against God and went with the devil, with Satan, and they got kicked out of heaven. Okay, so we know that that's true. However, the problem we have with that is it says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Well, wait a minute. If if all these angels, if the third of the stars from the book of Revelation, the third of the angels who sinned with the devil are in chains in hell in awaiting judgment. Well, who are all these demons that we're dealing with here on the earth? 
who are all of these? See, somebody said, well, I thought they were the fallen angels. Well, these angels that we're talking about here have been chained up in hell awaiting judgment. So uh, many believe, and I think I tend to believe it as well, that way back in the sixth chapter of Noah, a very interesting passage, we won't take the time for it now, but it says, and the sons of God came to the daughters of men. The sons of God came to the daughters of men. That term sons of God also found in the book of Job. It says when the sons of God came and presented themselves before God, Satan also came and presented himself. And then the exchange happened between God and Satan, several exchanges in the early chapters of the book of Job. But talked about Satan coming among the sons of God, presenting themselves before God in heaven. Well, wait a minute. Okay, sons of God in heaven. What does that mean? Well, in Genesis chapter 6, when the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were very beautiful. And they came and they actually had sexual relations with them. And it said that they bore children that became great, big, strong, mighty children, men of renown, big warriors and such. And so there's a long discussion to all of that. But you can go read that passage and and uh, do some study on it yourself. But it seems to me like those angels who sinned this particular sin, that they they came to the daughters of men. And I don't know how you would reconcile this, but I just know that this is what it says, that these angels were somehow able to have sexual relationship and have children. And these children were not fully human. They were part human and part these angelic beings somehow, and they became strong men of renown. And so part of the the flood destruction was to destroy this compromise of this human race, this genetic compromise. I can tell you this, that when Jesus came uh, to earth, he was of the pure human line, not of that compromise line, and he died for the salvation of the pure human line. So the a compromise, a genetic compromise would be a big deal. So that's a big discussion that I don't have time to get into. But I believe that this is what this is talking about. So it says, if God didn't spare those angels, but he reserved them for judgment. And it goes on to say, and if God didn't spare the rest of the world when he brought the flood of Noah. And it goes on to say, and if God didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah, who was full of the sin of homosexuality, you remember, and but delivered, but was able to deliver a lot out of that. He said, if God did all of that, then notice here it comes down to verse nine. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. In other words, God knows how to extract out his righteous and to leave everybody else for the day of judgment. See, so. Look here, verse 10, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. Boy, don't ever let yourself be like so many people in the world that despise authority, despise police officers, despise government, despise laws. No, we cannot let ourselves go into anarchy and take advantage of lawlessness. No, this is this is under judgment, the Bible says. And so it says, 
Verse 10, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed, see the strong, the strong personalities, the dominant personalities, the self-centered perspectives here. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Hey, this is rampant in our world today. Just speak evil of the president, speak evil of congressmen, speak evil of certain justices, speak evil of uh, other influential people. Folks, I don't care if everybody in the world does it. That's not us. We do not do that. It says these people are presumptuous. They're self-willed. They've got this arrogant attitude. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, people that are, you know, of esteem or they're of note or they're of position. And uh, we live in this world today. Verse, uh, verse 11, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. He said, not even angels who are much more powerful and mighty than we are, not even angels would speak those kinds of things against those dignitaries and against these people who hold these positions. Verse 12, but these, these people that do that, like natural brute beasts, like natural brute beasts. They're like animals is what he's saying. They're like, they're like beastly animals, ravaging animals, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, made to be caught and destroyed. Wow. He said these like natural brute beasts. In other words, they no longer have the characteristics of God. They were created in the image and likeness of God, but they let themselves themselves devolve into something more animalistic in the way that they talk and the ruggedness and the ruthlessness and the say whatever they want to like a dog. They can't stop barking. Right. He said these people have become like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. They're utterly going to perish in their own corruption. Verse 13, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. Boy, those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime, you're going around in the daytime, you're hitting on women or man, you're doing uh, things you should not be doing in the daytime. In other words, okay, nighttime is, is sin. That's bad enough. But You've gotten to the place where it's an all day, all night thing. You just all the time you're in sin. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery. So here they are in the middle of the church, in the middle of the body of Christ. But when they're looking at people, they're looking with eyes of adultery. They're looking at that person over there, maybe somebody's wife or somebody's husband, and they're just looking and, and they're looking with that look like, are you thinking what I'm thinking or are you looking at me over here? And and it's so wrong. It's a it's against marital lines. It's uh, against the truth of God. It's against righteousness. And yet it's happening right in the middle of the body of Christ, right in the middle of the church. And Peter's saying don't you know these people are going to be judged? These people who are, have come to that place where they're allowing these things to happen in their own hearts and lives. And he goes on to say, uh, again, verse 14, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They're enticing people. They're leading people. 
by their looks and by their comments and by what they do, what they say, where they stand, who they talk with, etc., etc. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray following the way of Balaam. Remember Balaam? Following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restrain the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Folks, we're talking about hell. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, those lewd, uh, through lewdness, uh, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. So here they are. Say, here's somebody ministering to a crowd of people who are real people of God. But these people have been so compromised inside, they don't even realize that they're not walking with the Lord anymore. And, and they've made a racket out of the gospel, taking advantage, the covetousness, and even the adultery, adulterous heart, adulterous eyes, and such. And so notice this. It goes on to say, Verse 19, while they promise liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Wow. So these people are proclaiming liberty, but they're in bondage. And so verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. In other words, it would have been better if they had never even known the Lord, because now that they have known and now that they've been taught and such, now they're accountable for all that they're willingly compromising. Verse 24, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So I tell you what, let me just make this statement again that these New Testament authors do not buy in to the extreme doctrine of grace that because we are saved by grace and not by works, therefore, don't worry about your sin because it's all covered by grace now. Oh, no. These biblical authors, and I'm, uh, let me just take these two, Peter and John, these two that walk with Jesus, two of the top three, Peter, James, and John. These biblical authors confront sin in a big way. We cannot allow sin in our lives. We must confront it. We must rid ourselves of it because it is so destructive and it is subject to judgment. If we don't confront it, if we don't repent and rid ourselves from these things, then we are subject to the same judgment. And he said, and it's even worse than if you had never known the Lord before, because now to whom much is given much is required. Well, folks, that's reason to repent. That's reason to come before the Lord and to make sure that we're doing right before God. And the good news is the Holy Spirit will strengthen us. The scripture, in fact, even now, the word of God, as we're reading this, I don't know if you can sense any conviction of the heart, but the I mean, 
the word of God just brings that conviction, that fear of the Lord. And if we'll invite him, if we'll repent and invite the Holy Spirit, he'll come and strengthen us and tell us what to do to get out from the temptation, out from sin, and to walk in the ways of the Lord. God's on our side. He wants to help us. We just have to align ourselves with him and call upon him to help us, and he'll be right there. Oh, isn't God good? Uh, somebody said, well, I, all this stuff is not good. Isn't it good that he tells us? Isn't it good that he explains it to us so that we'll know? You better believe it is. Our God's a good God, and he's helping us every way that he can. And it's let me tell you, it's more than enough. Uh, for us. It's, we don't need any more help than what he's already provided. Thank God. Our God's a good, good God. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com slash give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit SolidLives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.